The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Everyone, this morning, I'm just going to get out of the way. We're talking about sex and judgment. Sex and judgment, episode two in our Corinthian series, season two. And it reminds me, um, today's sermon reminds me of my suit that I have. I, I was fitted for my suits. I have, I've got two suits. And if you see me in them, it's usually because you're getting married or you're dead. Okay? These are my suits. The problem is I bought these suits when I lived in California, where there's a plentiful amount of arugula salads and vinaigrette dressings. And then I moved to Florida, where there's a plentiful amount of gravy, biscuits, these, uh, what are those things called? Uh, Asian, we have wonton dumplings. But you, like, southern people do dumplings different. It's like raw dough that you put in porridge. So my suits don't fit as well. And I was on a cruise three weeks ago where I ate nine lobster tails for the one meal, so my suit fit even less. And then last weekend, I was away at a wedding in Arizona um, for one of my old bartenders that came to Jesus, and, uh, and I had to put my suit on. Now, here's something about my suit. It does not care how much I eat. My suit is going to be the same size, whether I eat little or eat a lot, whether I run or whether I sit down and do nothing. My suit for the last, I don't know, five times I put it on, and I had to put it on again last night for this event thing I was at. Um, and only parents that are, like, if you look around my age, you have kids, you might understand this, or if you've got grandkids. When I was a kid, yogurt came in cups. You guys remember yogurts in cups? Yeah, nowadays, yogurt comes in these little things, right? Go-gurts. If you've ever squeezed a go-gurt, that's what I feel like putting on my suit right now. Like today, if you were like, if you died today, and you're like, okay, you, you got to do my funeral in a week, the only way I'm getting in my suit after last night without being a gogurt is if I water fast for the rest of this, this week. Um, so this passage this morning, I'm, I'm warning you, it's a suit. God said, this is what I created, and it's going to make some of us here feel uncomfortable. It's going to make some of us here feel shame, feel guilt. And, and I need us to go into this passage already with our eyes on the cross of Christ. Otherwise, you won't make it through. You'll get distracted by areas of your life because this is a difficult passage. This is a suit that does not fit our culture today. Are you ready? Okay. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for a couple things. This, we're going to pray for our hearts this morning. We're going to pray for Miss Ree. Jake did a great job filling in this morning. Um, Jake and Renee have been watching Ree and Eric's foster kids because Ree's mother passed away earlier this week. Um, she was here first service. And the Spirit is, is bringing peace and comfort to her. But her mom passed away, and she's moved on now to be with the Lord. She's more uh, intimate with Jesus and knows more about him than any of us in this room do, which is very comforting, but it's still a painful time. So let's pray for, for both Rhea and her family and this morning. Father, we ask before we jump into your word that you would send your spirit of peace and comfort upon Miss Rhea and Eric and her kids, and the family and friends that are mourning the loss of Rhee's mom. Lord, these are painful seasons of life, and I pray, Lord, that you would protect them from the weird Christian cliches about death not having a sting, because death still stings. It stings right now, right here, and it's painful. But it doesn't sting, and it doesn't cause pain as those with no hope. Our hope is in you. So bring that peace and that hope and let it rest upon Ree and Eric and her, her kids and her family right now. And Lord, now for us this morning, we're about to jump into a very sensitive topic that does not 
jive well with a lot of modern followers of Jesus, with, a, with our culture's narrative. So, Lord, help me to, above all, preach your grace. And, Lord, help us this morning to want to change. Help us this morning, Lord, to want to pursue you above all other things in our life. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Raise your hand if you've ever been judged by a church person. Anyone been judged by a church person? Okay, some of you have escaped the scathing judgments. If there's one thing that church people have excelled at in my time as a follower of Jesus, it's judging sexual sins. If you were not here two weeks ago, go back and catch the podcast or go back on Facebook if you want to watch the video. We talked about the, the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and that's where we're going to complete and continue going today. We're in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where there was a man having sex with his stepmother, and the church was just okay with it. Now, I've been judged by Christians many, many times. Uh, at the last church I was at, I wore a pair of Tom's shoes to preach in one time. Do you know what Tom's shoes are? They're these shoes you buy a pair, and they give a pair to a kid in need. Well, I preached in these Tom's shoes, and at the very next meeting, uh, the elder board meeting, there's about 30 or so elders at this church, we sat down, and someone said, we have a letter. Somebody wrote in a four-page letter about my Tom's shoes while I preached. Four-page letter. And the elders started reading it, and I thought it was funny. So I was snickering until I looked around at the elders, and I realized, oh, this isn't a joke. So I put my mouth down, and they continued to read the letter about why a pastor should never preach in bedroom slippers, they said. Bedroom slippers. I once preached a message here, and non-exaggeration, that I got an email that week, and I remember the lady, she was sitting like right over here. It wasn't Yvonne, didn't look like Yvonne, so don't, don't judge her. It was a person sitting right over here in this region, 62 pages, single-spaced, eight and a half by 11 letter about my sermon one week, just judged the junk out of me. In the very end, she said, I feel bad for your kids because clearly you have no idea what you're doing as a father. That was the only part I could agree on. And I have no idea what I'm doing as a dad. I was like, amen, sister. The other 61 and a half pages are garbage, though. <laughs> I've been judged. We, we do this. And my question is, is that we've, we've talked so much like, who are you to judge? Who, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. But this passage in the Bible today is saying you are someone that should judge. But I need you to hear it not in the way our world says it. Because right now, in this room, if I just start hitting some of these words, we all have our own thoughts and judgments about them. Some of you have thoughts about this right now. Either you're thinking, okay, adultery, what is it? Quick definition, having sex with someone that's not your spouse. Right? So we judge people. We see people that are in relationships. Well, they're not married. They must be living in sin. Newsflash. Look to your left and right. You just looked at two sinners that are saved and loved by Jesus if their faith is in him, whether they are adulterers or not. Jesus took the bar and raised it higher. If you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Hey, guys, any of you gone by this um, 24 hours without looking at a woman with lust? Maybe. How about a week? I'm not going to dip back into summer, sinners. Right? We have other words in the Bible. There's a word I've never, uh, I don't hear used very often. My kid now is coming home, and he's like that tween age, they call it, when you go to Fred's. He's the tweenager price. 
And, uh, and he asked me all ki- kinds of words. My 10-year-old's coming home. He turns 11 next week. And he'll say, Daddy, my friends were talking about, about sex. And my friends were talking about oral sex. My friends were talking about masturbation. My friends were talking about this. this. He's never come home and said, Daddy, what's fornication? It's not a word we use, which is odd because the kids who need it are probably the 10 and 11-year-olds. Fornication is having sex before you're married. And these words are all tied together. Here's a church word. If you've been in church any amount of time, you know this word, lust. Lust. If you've been a man, if you've been in an accountability group, man, do we just talk about that. And this is like the default. If you come to a band of brothers, someone will say, how can we pray for you? I'm struggling with pride and lust. But if you've been there, a band of brothers for a long time, the veterans of band of brothers say, yeah, no kidding. That's why we're here. Pride and lust. You don't hear a ton about that out side of church a little bit. How about this word? Does this bring any, conjure up any church Christian judgment for you? You guys are all saints, huh? Because the problem that we have is that we have all these categories. A lot of these are God-ordained, God-created categories. And as a church, there's two ways that we have erred. We've erred on the side of judging harshly and beating people with the Bible. And we've erred on the side of saying, yeah, just, it doesn't matter. You could be a Christian and just do what you want still. And the gospel has something very different. So we're going to start reading right here in verse 9 of chapter 5, 1 Corinthians. This is a, this is a tight suit, you guys. It's going to feel tight. So when I make a joke, laugh. Even if you don't think it's a joke, you could still laugh because it's going to get heavy. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Here's a fun fact for the Bible nerds. 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians at least because he's saying right here, I wrote to you in my other letter. In my other letter, I wrote to you. So this is the second time at least that he's written to the Corinthians. Not to associate with sexually immoral people. Are you tracking? This is a tight suit. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy. Isn't that weird how Paul does that? He says, I don't mean the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy. Like greed is right next to, for Paul, sexually immoral people. That's odd to me. That hit me this week. He said, I, didn't, I don't mean the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy of this world or the swindlers of this world or the idolaters of this world, since then you would need to go out of the world. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister if he or she is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. I want to emphasize this because we're not going to talk a ton about it today. But Paul says, don't even associate with someone who says, I'm a follower of Jesus if they have sexual sin or greed, because in the church today, we have this weird smug thing about if you sin differently than I sin, then your sin must be worse. And when we talk about bringing things under judgment today, I don't want us to just exempt our sins from the list because Paul's putting adultery, fornication, every type of sexuality, sexual desire that you would think is, okay, this probably goes against something in the Bible. And then Paul says, yeah, and greed and fishhawk. Riverview, Valrico, greed is wired into our culture as much as sexuality, if not maybe even more. Greed is what fuels people's desires to do what they want to do sexually and not listen to an outside authority. And Paul says, if they're going to say I'm a Christian and do this, 
And he's referring directly to the guy who's saying, yeah, I follow Jesus. I'm in the Corinthian church, but I'm also having sex with my stepmom. And the church is like, okay, I guess. Paul says, don't even, don't, don't even hang out with them. And he says something very interesting in verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Nothing. He's saying nothing. It's the implied end of that verse. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, but we purge the evil person from among you. It's a tight suit, right? Now, some of you are thinking, okay, wait a second. I'm a Christian, and I am greedy or a swindler or an idolater. Or I, am a, I have a sexual sin in my life right now. I'm addicted to this or that. My eyes wander. Whatever it is you might be thinking, I need you to understand what we say. At the, when we say sin at the chapel, it's not just the list of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts historically in the church. Sin is referring to when you pursue something, when you treasure something above God in your life. And every sin goes back to that. It's not just God said, oh, I don't like this particular action. It's that God said, look, I've made your life to be satisfied by my presence. I've made your hunger for joy to be satisfied by my gifting of good things to you. Don't love the gifts more than you love the giver. But that's what we've done, especially in regards to sexuality. It's so easy because it's a desire. It's a desire in our hearts. And Paul says, we're not called to judge those outside the church, which is ironically what happens every single day year when they have the pirate parade. Every year. Do you guys notice that? Every year there's somebody down there with a sign that says what? Something, someone's going to burn in hell. You guys are sinners. Beads are bad. I don't know what they really say because I don't look at them, but they yell at you from a bullhorn. You're all sinners. You're all going to hell. And like right here in the Bible, it literally says, what are you even doing out there? I've, I'll, I'll say this to the day that I die, and I hope, I hope, I hope, God, that one day you'll just prove me wrong. But I've never met a person who says, I came to Christ because some guy in a bullhorn blew out my eardrums. Never. Once. Same with bumper stickers. I've never s- met someone who was like, I was just driving along, and some bumper sticker was in front of me and said, do you follow Jesus this closely? And I was like, melted my heart with love for my Lord. Never met him. The word judge is crino. It's, it's to have a judgment upon, but not in like the gavel judgment. The gavel judgment that says, here's your crime, and this is the penalty. The penalty for you in Christ is paid for. It's done. Not only is it fully paid for, he also gives you his spirit so that you don't have to submit to the same broken life patterns you were living before. Paul says, if someone's going to be in your midst... And they're going to go on and say, look, I want to do the Jesus thing on Sunday, but I want to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with Monday through Saturday. I'm just going to be greedy. It doesn't matter if I'm greedy. What do you care? Just play your three songs, preach your sermon, and let me go. Paul says, no, it's, it's bad. Not just for the person, but for the church. Because all of a sudden people will see and say, okay, wait. So I can make up my own rules. That's what this person in Corinthians 5 was doing. He was saying, I can, I can have sex with whoever I want because Jesus died for me. So why not just keep on doing what feels good? 
Because when you take anything in your life and you make it an ultimate thing above God, that becomes a very, very bad thing. We were created and wired. Intimacy, the act of sex, was created by God to bring us and show us what intimacy and connection to others looks like so that we can understand more closely what connection to God is like. Complete and total and loving intimacy and vulnerability. But as Christians, we, we often take the posture of leaning on the cross. And instead, we judge like this. Come be like me, look like me, act like me, believe like me, and then you'll be accepted. I used to be one of those types of Christians. Because I've got self-control with a lot of things. I could fast from food. I could be disciplined and I could read my Bible, pray every day. But you know what? I, I sin differently. And the longer you're in Christianity, the more you'll learn how to sin in a way that nobody else cares or sees. As long as you're not having adultery, fornicating, having sexual desires that are outside of God's creative bounds for marriage and love and connection, you're like, oh, yeah, you pass. You could be greedy. Come on in. You could gossip in the church. I mean, church people gossip more than non-church people. Outside of the church, when I was growing up, people just told you to your face, and then you punched them in the face. Now in the church, we just hide things in prayer circles. Lord, bless this person. They're so addicted to pornography. I'm like, seriously? You just outed them in a prayer circle? Jesus hates you. No, I know how to say that. I'm seeing if you're awake. But we do it. We out people in prayer circles. We use prayer requests as an excuse to throw people's laundry out there. It's rare that people say, pray for my sin, and here's how specific it is. Have you ever noticed that? When it's their sin, it's, I've got an unspoken, or five. But when it's their neighbor's sin, <laughs> let me tell you the list. Because we stand at the cross saying, come be like me, look like me, believe like me, behave like me, and then you'll be accepted. And that's not the posture that this passage is getting at. The posture that this passage is getting at is for grace-drenched, broken people who instead of leaning on the cross saying, be like me, believe like me, we're bowing at the cross saying, there's room. Come in. Let your sin be put on the cross. There's room to worship with us. But we don't. For whatever reason, we're addicted to looking at those outside the church and saying, oh, those people. Just a newsflash. Even if you grew up in the church, at one point you were those people. And I grew up as those people. And when I came into the church to answer questions from kids who never had met a like bona fide pagan before, what is it like? What was it like growing up without Jesus? And they looked at me like I just kicked puppies and drank rum from birth. It was crazy. I was the same as you. Really? Like, what is it like to, like, just lust? And I'm, like, talking to other high school guys. Are you mental, bro? I've watched you at church camp. You've lusted after a girl wearing a one-piece and a T-shirt. It's the same. But it's this weird thing. We think that, like, there's this massive difference. Here's the chasm. People who fall on God's grace and people who don't. And within the church... We want to point people to say, stop looking for satisfaction in something that only God can give satisfaction for. Sex is good. In case you haven't gotten that from the first sermon two weeks ago, we took a break because I was out of town. Sex is good, and it's God's creation. God made it. God designed it. He came up with all the parts. He wasn't shocked. If you missed two weeks ago's sermon, he, not, he didn't make Adam 
And then like Satan didn't put on the penis and God said, how did that get there? No, he made parts just for pleasure. I need you to hear this. God made parts just for pleasure. Ten bucks says that's my father-in-law. Was that you, Charlie? Yes. Yes. That's number six. I'm keeping a tally for when you meet the Lord. I'm judging you harshly. Come on, Charlie. Behave like me. Be like me. Put your phone on silent like me. Let me just double check. I don't know how this iPhone thing works. There's a little switch over here. Okay, I'm good. Don't try to call me, Charlie. I got, I got fat fingers. I can't get that switch down. <laughs> this is a, it's a wild thing. And some of you right now, I see you. <laughs> yeah, I see you. Uh, you sinner. You sinner. That wasn't my father-in-law, by the way. That's my lawyer. Um, we're talking about lawyers today. Because here's, here's the deal. The judgment of God is all of our sins are on Christ. So we now don't judge people as this judge that hits the gavel. We judge people who have been judged by Christ's perfection. If you're in Christ, God sees you as perfect. It's at the very end of this passage. But if you're going to be here and you're going to say, like, yeah, I'll be a Christian. I'm going to sample you like a Costco sample, but I'm going to do what I want most of the time. What you're doing is in every moment you're saying, I want my sexual experience to be the primary pursuit of my life, above my connection to God. And I've, I've asked questions about it because God made it. I, I keep thinking about this throughout this sermon series. God, you made sex. God, you made testosterone. Lord, you knew how much grief I was going to get when testosterone started. Right now, I have a kid who's starting the testosterone surge. He's an irrational human being. I couldn't share this in first service because he was there. But you guys, men specifically, do you remember when the craziness started, one day you're like, let's build with Legos. And then a girl walked by one day and you were like, Legos are dumb. And you've been saying the same thing ever since. And I, I, this week I thought, literally, this is my thought pattern. This is how messed up I am. I'm like, okay, I'm praying. Okay, God, help me understand. Jesus was a 100% man, 100% God. Lord, how did you deal with testosterone when it came? Like, I want to know how puberty hit Jesus. Because Jesus never sinned. I was one minute into puberty, and I think I had already walked off the deep end of every sexual sin I could ponder. And I'm thinking, Lord, you made puberty? You made testosterone? Like, why couldn't you have just created me to have a hankering for pineapples? Why does it have to be, like, females? I'd be such a holy person if I could choose what tempted me. Do you just choose something far away? I choose snow. I don't even remember snow anymore. Someone was talking about a flurry recently in Ohio this morning, and I said, the only flurry I've ever experienced is like the sand at Siesta Key. It's like, it's in my eyeballs. It's a flurry. I would just say snow tempts me in the clear. No, God's like, ah, oh, no, Ryan, Sorry. I'm going to give you testosterone when you go into your tween years, and then I'm just going to pour it in by the gallons. And I'm not going to give you, for this season of life, a father figure to teach you, and you're not going to know my word until much later in time. So by the time I came to know Jesus and I walked into church building, I was a broken sexual mess who had chased girls, pursued girls for my own pleasure, and I had to be rewired. The church was gracious to me. Some of you here are you're like, I'm in sexual sin. 
can I be here? <laughs> it gets, Paul says, don't even eat with someone like that. Last night I went to this um, gala event for Door of Hope, foster care stuff. And um, it was funny because this sermon was percolating in my brain. I usually don't go out Saturday night because my brain's already here. And um, so I was thinking like, oh, man, I'm, I'm not supposed to eat next to sinners. And it was mostly, there was all chapel people. So I sat down. I was like, okay, my wife's here. Can't sit next to her. Can't sit next to the zit They might have adopted a bunch of kids, but they probably sin. And then I was like, there's a girl at our table named Angel. I was like, she's probably a safe bet to sit next to. And then I sat all the way across the table from the Enriquez's, just to make sure. You don't know who the worst sinner was at the table. But isn't that a weird verse? Paul says, don't eat with them. Now, here's what you have to understand. When he's talking about judgment in a church, bringing someone to the foot of the cross, saying, what you're doing is outside of God's creative order. And you might say, well, I desired it. And God will say, yeah, the, the fruit looked desirable. And Eve took it and then unraveled the fabric of the universe. Come back to the way that I've created sexuality to be a living picture of my love for you and your love for me. Come back. Come back in. And if, if you're at a church like this, a church that's kicked people out in the past, said, oh, you sinned, you go. Every church I've been at has had that thing happen where people get kicked out. You sinned, we're kicking you out of the church. It is a weird thing. Even if they're repenting, if they're turning to God, because they read this verse, purge the evil person from among you. Here's a newsflash. When you look left, you look right, you look forward at me. We're looking at broken people who have the seed of sin who all need the grace of Jesus. There is no one in here that is perfectly complete. I like that Western-themed one, though. I love how, it God, how Paul says, all of these sexually immoral and greedy people, because literally, literally in our culture, you buy a house and a car. And if it's a little bit nicer than your neighbors, give it three years. You get a Beamer 2017, they're going to get the 2019. You're going to get jealous. I got to get the 2021. We do it with everything. Our greed and our pride excels in our culture. Right now, I've been gifted with kids who do well in school despite my terrible parenting. All of my kids are like excelling in school. They're getting tested for being geniuses. Obviously, they get it from their mother. And I'm look, looking around like, why can't these other kids be like my kids? Why don't you guys just raise genetically superior geniuses? Now, newsflash, I've got one more on the way. She's a TBD. She'll probably grow up and be the most wild human on the planet because she's a pastor's kid. Because what, what does it matter if we compare ourselves to one another to feel good about ourselves? I love this quote from an author I really enjoy. She said, if I feel good about my parenting, I have no interest in judging other people's choices. If I feel good about my body, I don't go around making fun of other people's weight or appearance. We're hard on each other because we are using each other as a launching pad out of our own perceived deficiency. <laughs> it's just stepped on my own toes right there. Isn't that the truth in Christianity? We're like, yeah, let's let's judge them so I don't have to focus on myself. If I shine a spotlight on their garbage, then I don't have to have the light shining on my garbage. 
And then it, Paul just keeps sweeping in. Because if you want to know how to judge people, it's not at a church when we're in this number first service. Because that's weird. The church in Corinth knew each other. They were involved in each other's lives. And they were there to watch this happen. They were there having meals together. So here's a tip. If you want to judge somebody within the church, make sure it's somebody you were sharing meals with before. Don't just be like going off the handle like a super Christian, leaning on the cross with your superiority complex, beating people with the Bible. Make sure you're actually knowing these people to say like, hey man, I know you and I love you and I see this going on. And there's room. I, I'm broken in this area, man. That's why I'm turning to the cross. I'm bowing down. I'm saying there's room. Let's put these things behind us and move forward. That's why we love and promote our microchurches so much. So you can actually be known because you could hide here. You could hide a lot of sins in church. Believe me, I know I was a professional. And then he just goes right into it. He wants us to understand that we have this ability to judge. Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. That's a scary verse. There's also the verse about the plank and the speck. And people say, take the plank out of your own eye. It's like, and I'm, I tell people, yeah, for sure, take the plank out of your own eye. But let's get the planks and the specks out. Like, I don't want a plank or a speck in my eye. Two by four, splinter, both seem unpleasant to me. But I know in Christianity, our tendency is to just beat people with our planks. Just hitting them. We are called to judge. We're actually given great authority. Revelation 3.21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant with me w to sit on my throne. Jesus says, if you conquer, if you follow Christ, he's, he's going to put you on his throne to rule with him. To rule with him. Revelation tw uh, 2, 26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. 2 Timothy 2, 12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. We get to reign and rule with Jesus. And then the Corinthian church can't even figure out like this squabble. This guy's sleeping with a stepmom. These people are arguing. These people are suing each other. And Paul's like, don't you know that you have the spirit of the ruler of the universe within you? You're going to sit on the throne of Christ and judge angels? I'm getting ahead of myself. Whew. When one of you has a grievance, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? <laughs> this Corinthian church was a hot mess. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's you and I. And if the world is to be judged by you and I, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Angels. How much more then in matters pertaining to life? You can't get this guy with his stepmom sorted out. You guys have the power of the infinite God of the universe residing within you and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit within you. Exercise judgment. Don't bring this baggage outside. Man, it's, it's wild that this verse is in here for me this past year. We have the wisdom of God within us. And still believers just go after each other. I say this to your shame. Can't it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits all with one another is already a defeat for you. Paul's like, you've already lost. You guys can't get along. You have this sexual dysfunction. You're greedy. You guys, have, you've lost your way. But man, 
why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brother. They're, they're swindling from each other. They're, they're stealing from each other. Now here's where it gets so heavy. Or, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, adulterers, fornicators, pornography addicts, lust addicts, people who give in to the desires that our culture says this is okay, you have sex with this person or that person, doesn't matter what gender or sexuality. Like th- This is why the suit is so tight, because this is uncomfortable for me. Because you read the Bible and you're like, this is a 2,000-year-old book. How could it possibly know what we are going to have going on right now? And the problem brings me all the way back to Christians who take this verse and we say, you're going to hell because you do this sin. Literally, it says the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. If you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, looked at a man with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with him or her in your heart. Nor men who practice homosexuality. This is a verse where Christians take that one sin and we highlight it. This is the greatest of this whole list. Paul did not number this list, you guys. The next one, nor the thieves, my favorite. Right after that, verse 10, nor those who live in suburbia, greedy people, nor drunkards. Why don't Christians, like, do that? I've never seen a sign at some outdoor, like, party, Mardi Gras thing where someone says, greedy people go to hell. Why do they pick the one thing? What is that? Why do we do this? Because this is us. Leaning on the cross. If you look like me, believe like me, behave like me, then you'll be accepted, and then you get to be just like me. And that's not what this passage is getting at. Paul is saying, you all are broken, but if you pursue these things, if you make these things the aim of your life, if you make any of these things the pursuit of your life, you're going outside of what God has created for you. Anytime you take something and put it where God should be, your life will be broken in that area. That's what we mean by sin. It's not this, this pointless list of like, do this, don't do that. And God was like, yes, I'm going to make up some rules for this. Oh, I'm going to flood the men with testosterone and say, don't lust. Ha, 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 cosmic joke. God says, I've wired this to be something beautiful. And it's trying to break down and sneak in. And it's trying to get you to believe a lie about me. Instead of the truth. And every sin in our life is this. And I know early on in Christianity, I was taught that repentance is turning around, like a U-turn. You repent and turn back to God. Make a U-turn. And literally, if, if sin is this direction, this is how I felt, going back to God. This is my life, my first three years as a Christian. Or that one song, Salt and Pepper, I take two steps forward and I take three steps back. I'm not going to sing the rest. Some of you already have it in your head. And I couldn't get, I couldn't get it right because here's, Here's what Paul does to to get people out. He teaches us how to judge. He says, none of these types of people will get the kingdom of God. Swindlers, drunkards, greedy people, thieves, adulterers, idolaters. None of them will get the kingdom of God. None of them will receive that. And he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. I'm going to teach you how to judge yourselves and others right now. Step one. We don't judge people outside the church ever. 
God is their judge. Inside the church, we don't judge with a gavel. We judge to help them realign their lives to Jesus because repentance does not mean simply a change of direction. Repentance means a change of mind. It means that the thing you set your mind on as ultimate, the thing you set your mind on for your significance, the thing you set your mind on for your, your greatest pleasures and joys, we're drawn to set our mind on sex or money or things or achievements or accolades and anything that we say, this is my thing more than God, higher than Christ. That is what we call a sin or an idol. And in Christianity, the image that I've always used is one of a tree because Jesus says a tree will be known by its fruit. But here's what we do. If I'm the tree and here's the fruit, the fruit is the observable behaviors of our lives. And so often in Christianity, here's what I've seen. You see someone who lusts. You see someone who has a a different view of, of sexuality, a different view of greed than you. And you see it. They're greedy. They're selfish. And here's what we do in Christianity with that anxious person. Because the Bible says, don't worry. Cast your cares on Christ, for he cares for you. I see that thing that's broken. And here's how we judge Christians. Chop off the bad fruit. Have you guys ever chopped a piece of fruit off of a fruit tree? What happens next year? Does the fruit stay gone or does more fruit come? Okay, class, I know it's second service. You had more time. This is a 25-hour day, the only one you get this year. You chop off a fruit, more fruit grows. You chop off a fruit, more fruit grows. So much of Christian growth, that's all I see is people look at your actions, your your behavior, your observable actions, and they say, look at all those sins. And we say, don't do that. How dare you? How dare you lust? How dare you commit adultery? How dare you practice this? How dare you greedy? And we try to shame people out. We chop their fruit off. We never deal with the roots. And until you deal with the roots, you'll never solve the problem of the bad fruit. The roots are asking yourself questions like this. Why did I want to do this? Why, what made me want to look at this person or, or not share this or not give that? What made me want to be greedy or jealous? What's giving me this crippling anxiety? Why do I think I'm going to get out of this? If you, get, if you just deal with that fruit, you're never going to find freedom. But if you go down to the roots, you say, what, why, why, am I, why am I constantly struggling with this particular thing? What is it I hope will will be accomplished? And if it's a sexual sin, you've got to get all the way down to the roots and say, okay, what am I truly believing about God? Because repentance isn't a change of direction. It's a change of mind. In the moment that you lust, for example, in the moment that you think that you can make up your own rules about sex, at the very bottom of those roots is the belief. You wouldn't say this out loud, but it's the belief that I can do what I want with my body because it's my body, my body, my choice. God says, no, 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 no. That's my body. If you're in Christ, you're the body of Christ. And God says, my body, my choice. A change of mind means, Lord, I'm not going to believe this lie that I can make up my own rules about sexuality. Instead, I'm going to believe the truth that you are the creator. And even though I have these desires that drive me crazy, that make me want to do things that go against what you've told me the universe is wired to do, I'm going to believe you and not those things. You can do this with any sin, by the way. And it's not just like a three-minute journey. It's usually an hour or two hours of of digesting down. And my offer is always out there. If you're like, I've got a sin that I want to deal with. I want to go from the fruits to the roots. You could call me. Take me out to coffee. We'll sit at Starbucks. We'll weep there together. Because I talked to someone last service, and their anxiety is, is killing them. Multiple people, three people last service said, can I do this with anxiety? Because my anxiety is crushing me. Yeah, you want, I'll give you the short version. If you struggle with anxiety and worry, it's because at the bottom of your roots, you actually believe that God is not in control or that he does not love you. 
So how do you change your mind? You say, okay, how can I look at this word and see that God loves me? I look to the cross. How do I know he's in control? Because at the moment when he was dying on the cross, the moment when everyone else thought God had lost control and lost the battle, that was the moment he had planned history for. So I know he's in control. I know that he loves me. I know that he's good. And I'm going to change and put my mind on that instead of my mind on the things that are causing crippling anxiety. I'm going to change and put my mind on the fact that Jesus made a way for me to be washed, cleaned, and pure so that I could have pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. And I don't need these temporary sexual pleasures. There's a whole book in the Bible about a guy, the wisest, smartest person, richest who had lived in history, Solomon. He had sex with a thousand women, mathematically, give or take a few hundred like, A, I don't know why anyone would want to do that. Seems like a lot of relational work. And then he threw parties. He had more sex than you. He had more money than you. He had more stuff than you. And then he said at the end of it all, it's meaningless. I've tried to stuff into my life things that I'm made for. Because we're made to connect with people. We're made for intimacy. We're made for pleasure. We've, we're made for joy. And we've all settled for a cheaper version God alone can give us what our soul and life and body were made for. Sex is a gift to be enjoyed, to, to mirror and show off a little sample, a Baskin-Robbins-sized sample of what our intimacy with God will be like. So when, when you're looking around at someone to judge, don't judge with someone unless you eat with them all the time, which means you know them, they're family, they're church family, not church friends. Don't go throwing stones at people just because you heard they did something. And when we judge, we don't judge like those religious people who say, come look like me, be like me, dress like me, believe like me, then you'll be saved. And we don't judge like the people on the other side who say, yeah, you can kind of do what you want, you know, take the pieces of God that you like and the pieces you don't like, leave. No, 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 no. God is the creator. He's infinitely above us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We can choose today. Do we humble ourselves before God and the grace that he's found in Christ and say, come on, there's room. There's room for you. If you're broken, you're in the midst of a sexual sin right now. You're like, I, how do I even go? Can I have food with anyone here? Come, there's room. What does it mean? Do I have to stop doing this? Do I have to stop doing that? Maybe. I don't know your details. But there's always a path forward. At God's table, we come because Jesus paid the price for all the things we couldn't pay. He died the death we deserve to die. and He rose again so that you and I could be washed, sanctified, justified, in the name of Jesus. It's not because of your behavior, but despite your behavior. Don't leave here today under an ocean of shame and guilt. Don't leave here today thinking, okay, there's where my life's broken. Do I hide it? Do I, what do I do? Here's what you do. You say, Lord, I'm coming for you. And it might take a month. It might take a year. It might take a decade. But we'll walk with you. This is a church where I don't want there to be shame darts thrown Every church I've worked at before this church, if a, if a young pregnant teen came in or an unmarried couple, I would just see so much shame. And it's not just explicit. It's more of the implied shame. Like you look at them like, oh, this is the first um, church family I've been a part of where we know that people are going to fail. And we say, there's room. There's room. You sin differently from me, and I sin differently from you. That's why we make room at the foot of the cross, not to cast a stone ever. So let's be that type of family, the kind that says, yes, God created the world to be a certain way. Sexuality is a certain way, and we'll get into that more and more as this series unfolds. 
but we're not going to stand here and act like we have this superior morality when we're all objects and recipients of God's amazing grace. Let's pray. Lord, I know, God, that um, there's got to be so much shame and guilt and fear. Lord, I've, I've been the target of that super religious, bone-crushing, soul-crushing judgment. Lord, I pray that every person that, that calls you their father this morning would walk out of here knowing that despite where they're at, despite what things they're currently living in, whether it's greed or theft or swindling or the sexual immorality, that we would all walk out of here knowing that we are loved by you despite our failures. And that we are loved so much by you that you want to take us from our failures. And Lord, let us be a family that doesn't cast stones, but lets you ultimately be the guide, be the sweet fragrance that draws in weary sinners like me. God, it's such a sensitive subject. And some people here need more of that voice this morning, your, your whisper in their ear. So I pray that you would remind them that they are loved and give them a path forward. Give me a path forward, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.